back, everybody, to the Westwood Living Podcast Network. Tom Lydon with you, and we come to you today from the attic studio of Dominic Esposito. How you doing, Dom? Great, great. Thanks. I, I fell in love with this place the first time that I saw it, which now going back in time was probably end of July because Dominic was on the cover of the September issue of Westwood Living, and the story is fascinating because you're basically in your second career as an artist and sculptor and we'll get there. But what drew me to you was actually my content coordinator, Abby Stern. She says, hey, do you know Dominic Esposito? And I said, I don't. She said, you should do his story because his story is really powerful. So I appreciate you letting us tell your story and now giving us the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your journey and, and what's transpired even in the month since we read your story in Westwood Living in September. What was the reaction like to people who saw you on the cover and read your story? No, it, it, was, um, it was great, especially locally. It was so funny. Um, you know, I'd been in the press a lot over the last four years, you know, New York Times, L.A. Times and all these other newspapers, you know, sorry about the uh, trying to keep it modest. But then <laughs> this one, you know, this one, for some reason, we're like, oh, that was a great article, you know, great photos. And um, I was like, well, didn't you read any of the other stuff? Um, because I guess, you know, it, it's when it comes to your door, you know, it's something you sort of pay attention to when it's local. So I think it's great. And the reaction was was phenomenal by everybody. So I think Rick Byrne, our photographer, did a great job of capturing you on the cover with one of your most powerful pieces which is very thematic and you you focus very heavily on opioid addiction and that epidemic that has really taken over the world very sadly and it has hit you very personally which is what made your story so magnetic so let's I suppose start there as to what motivated you to mix your talents with a cause so um, the inspiration, really the motivation was, was my brother. Um, he'd been suffering from, um, uh, from an opioid addiction for the last uh, 12 years now. And it was sort of this sense of hopelessness about five or six years ago that we were f feeling as a family. And um, that kind of led me to take my artwork and use it as a, as a, as a language to communicate this um, sense of hopelessness and frustration and really kind of point fingers at who is accountable for this crisis. Because let's not forget, Tom, it's a man-made disease. And so what I did is I dropped this 800-pound, 10-foot opioid spoon in front of Purdue Pharmaceutical back in June of 2018, so you know, um, close to five years ago now. And that led me down this path of becoming an, an activist. So I had to kind of put my art career a little bit on hold, and that led to other drops where we did, you know, other pharmaceutical companies, including J and J, the FDA, as well as Rhodes Pharmaceutical here in, in Rhode Island. And our mission, you know, just to close the loop, but our mission really um, with the Opioid Spoon Project, which is the nonprofit, is two is is twofold. One is to create uh, accountability and make sure that the architects for the crisis are accountable. And, you know, we've seen a lot more documentaries on this subject and, and, and people know a lot more about it than they did you know, five or six years ago. But also create a sense of empathy and empathy for not just the people who are suffering from opioid use disorder, but also the families that are going through this uh, because it really is a family disease. What jumped out to me most notably when we talked was how when you're sitting there in front of Purdue, all of a sudden your phone starts ringing because when you're the artist, suddenly you become the spokesman. And I think that there was a point in time where you're like, am I really qualified to be that person, to be the spokesperson who's being quoted in the New York Times, the LA Times? But you had a great perspective on that because I think you looked in the mirror and you said, I am qualified. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you're, you you become um, at that point you're you're sort of battle tested right you know you know a lot about the subject matter 
and a lot more than you think because these are survival skills, Tom, right? So you learn them as a family because you want to keep your child, your brother, your sister uh, alive, right? And so you learn all about the disease and also, you know, you know, the players in it. And it was also my background in finance that led me down the, you know, investigative kind of, it wasn't journalism, but it was, you know, research really. Um, and kind of led me down this route of like, how did we get here in the first place? And just kind of spitting all that out in this anger, it was truth, right? It was, you know, I was speaking uh, truth to power and the media really enjoyed listening to that and and really kind of the sense of empathy on their front um, as well. You talked about your previous career in finance, which allowed you the opportunity to pursue this passion. And you became a sculptor at a later age and you really jumped in two feet. How did you get from that world of being in, in finance to the world of being an artist who makes beautiful paintings and sculptures? Yeah, it wasn't part of the plan. It's not like, you know, I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this finance for 25 years, and I'm going to stop, I'm going to be an artist. It just kind of happened. I started tinkering with metal, you know, fabricating metal and welding, bought my own, you know, uh, MIG welder and all the other tools. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm making art and I'm attending, you know, classes all over the place. And I, I'm sort of one of these personalities that, you know, I'm just get once I, I get focused in on something, I give it my all. So here I was, you know, 78 hours a week working in uh, in art and I wanted to be successful at it and you know it kind of turned a took a turn when I became an activist on top of an artist <laughs> so uh, also that was unforeseen right so you know life is like that I mean you just uh, you know you have these uh, kind of forks in the road and you know and, and you get driven one way um, and I think as a society sometimes we we kind of grow up thinking that you know my career is this and you know we live in a box and and I think also with COVID that's also taught us that you know, we're not in a box. We can, we, we have, we're in charge of our own lives. We're in charge of our own destiny. And if we want to learn and, and do something, then, you know, we, we can do it. You have made your works of art very thematic. And not only on the cover, but in this studio, I look around and I see that imagery of a person with a hooded sweatshirt over his head. Describe for me the essence of what that means. Yeah. So, the hooded sweatshirt is another icon or another language, right? So just like the spoon was this language around um, opioid use, the, the, for me, the hooded sculpture represents isolation and loneliness, right? And especially if you've got it over your head like that and you're sort of walking with your shoulders kind of drooped down. And that was what I was really trying to capture in my sculptures. So I was, I was able to kind of marry this 3D sculpture with paintings, right? So a lot of my work is 2D and three-dimensional at the same time. And the material in itself is very heavy, right? So you've got a lot of them are in bronze and the subject matter is very heavy as well. So there's sort of, it's figurative art. You know, a lot of it is realistic. I have four children uh, that have uh, all teenagers have gone through teenage life. And so I know very well what isolation and loneliness uh, does. Um, and also uh, with my brother gone through um, substance use disorder that also created that knowledge base. You've experienced a lot already and made a big impact already, but you also have grand visions. And you triggered me when you said, remember the AIDS quilt? I said, of course I remember the AIDS quilt. For those of you who don't, in the early 1990s, at the height of the AIDS epidemic, people who had passed away as a result of AIDS were honored with small sections on a massive quilt that made its way around the United States, if not the world. I don't remember the specific details, but you have a vision to do something similar for those that we've lost to 
opioids. Can you describe what the vision is and how realistic it might be and what you need to make it happen? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is sort of like phase two of, uh, of the Opioid Spoon Project, and it's called the Memorial Doors Project. And it'll take me a second to sort of explain it. But basically, it's this uh, two-paneled large doors. I'm talking these doors will be 20 feet tall, right? And each door will have four panels on them. And the four panels will represent stories carved in clay and then made into bronze, uh, this method called bas-relief. Each one of those stories will represent a story of normalcy to people's lives before addiction, right? So we always think of, um, of the stories that I, you know, the stories that I hear a lot from parents that have lost somebody to the opioid crisis is these stories of um, this normalcy, right, to their lives. Like, you know, my kid was a drummer and he played in a band or my son was, you know, a phenomenal baseball player and he, you know, he won MVP and, you know, and five years ago or, you know, so those are the stories we, you know, hear. And so as an artist, what I want to do is bring those stories to life in these doors, right? So that's why it's, uh, it's a memorial. We are a week away from actually launching the website. So we've spent a lot of time and it's been a kind of busy vacation for me because I've been on the phone with um, developers over the last two weeks. So we're really excited about that. We're going to have a sign-up sheet so people can submit all of their stories through these Google Forms and submit photographs. And we hope within the next six to nine months that we'll have enough stories together to actually start the work. And that means um, selecting the, 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 the remaining stories, which is uh, seven because we have one already that will be up on the website. So you'll be able to see what we're talking about and fabricating them. So we need to find a location uh, for the doors, Tom. So, you know, so th <laughs> that's the, where this helps. Yes. Right? Yes. Raising so, some awareness. Yeah. So. Um, the doors are going to be absolutely beautiful. And if anybody's ever been to the baptistry um, uh, in, in Florence and seen those doors, those doors were and not just the baptistry, but Notre Dame, you have even the Library of Congress. The doors were always used um, back then for to tell stories. Right. Um, and uh, whether it was the First Testament or, or, or the formation of our nation, they were used to tell stories. And so that's what we're doing here. We're telling stories. We're hoping um, these doors land uh, someplace in Washington, D.C. as a memorial. Uh, if not, you know, it'll be someplace local in Massachusetts. I, I think it's incredible. And it's something that our community should get behind because it will emanate from here. It'll emanate from your head. You know, I've seen the first one and it is powerful. And to speak in layman's terms, for those who may not quite grasp the imagery of what we're talking about here, think of it this way. Like you go to a Hall of Fame and you see a plaque that is a bust that has a person's face. You know, ba the Baseball Hall of Fame jumps out to me. Like that times 10. That's what it is. It is really a, a powerful piece of art that we should all embrace. Do you know yet what the URL for the website is so people can go check yeah, it out? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it'll be the memorialdoorsproject.com. So okay. that's the, um, the, the URL, the memorialdoorsproject.com. There'll be a link through the, the Opioid Spoon Project as well. Um, so now we're in the sort of, you know, getting the idea out there, um, f trying to find sponsors, uh, donations, um, uh, the stories that come in as well. We've been raising money slowly through the Opioid Spoon Project. We have some money dedicated for this project already. We need a lot more to go. Well, it's a fantastic start, and I've loved catching up with you and helping to tell this story. I think one of the things I aim to do, we aim to do as a team every month, is try to hit a topic that is of significance, a topic that can resonate with the residents of Westwood. And what's great about it is that it features residents of Westwood. And I think there is a nice cross-section of people who experience different things. So I hope that this has been helpful to your cause and has also opened no. the eyes of people around town. No, it has. And it, it's been great. Also, just reading about the other stories. There's so many other people that, oh, you know, that I'm learning about that are in Westwood that are doing phenomenal 
work in phenomenal causes, whether it's nonprofits or running different organizations. And it's thank you, Tom, for the Westwood Living, and I think it's a great magazine. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. I didn't even pay him to say that. <laughs> that's Dominic Esposito. I, I will include the link to Dominic's story right here on the Westwood Living podcast that you are listening to, so be sure to check that out. And, of course, follow along his journey at the opioidspoonproject.org. Com. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Opioidspoonproject.com. And, of course, if you've got other people who you think might be uh, great for me to talk to, please check in, T. Leiden at bestversionmedia.com. But until the next time, thank you so much for listening to the Westwood Living Podcast. 